Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Enchanting Economics in New Mexico. This podcast is a production of Bieber, the recognized expert in socioeconomic data for the state of New Mexico. I'm your host, Rianne McKernan, and today we're going to continue in our series on coronavirus and how it's affecting different industries in New Mexico's economy. Today with me is UNM Chief Information Officer, Duane Arudi, and as always, Bieber programmer, Sarun Vitel. Duane, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So for those who aren't really familiar with the world of IT, I'm one of them. Um, could you give us a pre-coronavirus quick overview of what the UNM IT department manages or, or handles? Sure, absolutely. Um, people tend to think of IT as just technology, but there's a standard definition of IT that it's really people process technology and data. It's about bringing all of those components together. Uh, technology is only useful to the extent that it's in alignment with what your organization is trying to do. And by putting all of those elements together, I think it really, really pulls it in. Uh, at the University of New Mexico, we have a number of different missions. We have our, our academic mission, our administrative research. So the University of New Mexico's IT unit really integrates with all of these different areas and provides a full stack of, of services that help to support us in each of these endeavors. So just to do a quick walkthrough of what that looks like, um, starting at the systems level, we provide system infrastructure. So that's everything from servers and storage for all of the data, whether it's in our data center or leveraging cloud services. We provide a pretty comprehensive network infrastructure to support our entire institution. This is everything from the wired connectivity to the wireless connectivity. And basically it's bringing our campus together um, with each other and with the rest of the world. We actually happen to operate a um, Gigapop, which is a point of presence that allows for high-speed, low-cost connectivity through a number of peering networks um, to the rest of the world. And we provide that for ourselves, and we also provide it to other higher education in the state, nonprofits, and to some extent, other education like K-12. Uh, in addition to those components, we provide telecommunications. So this is everything from the traditional desk phone to voice over IP phones, cell phones. Uh, we support a number of call centers around campus with their automated call distribution. Uh, not just for our institution, but also for the hospital. Uh, and we also support entities like Poison, uh, the Poison Control Center. And so, um, our reach is a lot broader than just the university. We also have those blue phones you see all over campus, the emergency phones there. We provide that level of support as well. We provide application services. So this is everything from the software that each of us uses on a regular basis. We handle the licensing for the institution. So in many cases, we'll purchase an enterprise license and make that software available to everyone. We also provide support for the enterprise 
software services that are in use all over campus. Um, and that support can be everything from development, we develop some of those solutions, to configuration and management, to integration so that all these different systems talk to each other. We make sure that they're available and um, ready for use by our campus. And then of course the constant um, updates to those systems. Uh, none of that is possible without the hardware, so those desktop and laptop computers that everyone uses. We actually coordinate uh, purchasing for the university. We've defined some standard computer configurations that really meet the needs of different levels of workforce within, within our organization. Everything from someone uh, who operates on their computer on a day-to-day -day basis to someone who occasionally accesses uh, technology through their computer to our classroom labs. Um, all, all across the university. Um, making sure that they have the software, the antivirus, making sure that we can support them in a consistent fashion, um, all of that is, is done through our IT organization. And you know, some of that's in person and more and more it's remote. And so we make sure that we have the remote tools that are able to help us to do that as well. Uh, beyond individual workstations, we've got all the classrooms. And under normal circumstances, we make sure that the technology is working in the classrooms. Everything from the, uh, the faculty's lectern up at the top or up at the front of the class to the projector to um, enabling remote participation through cameras and, and microphones and other features. Uh, we do all of that and we actually handle a lot of the physical environment that's outside of technology. The classroom configuration um, and other aspects of the classroom that make it easier to instruct in and to learn in that environment. We handle security, um, so information security is a big deal. Uh, training on information security because each of us has a part in that. Uh, authentication and access, assigning out accounts and putting controls on those accounts of what people can and cannot do and when things, um, when your password needs to be updated, what permissions you have. Um, firewalls, analysis, constant analysis to minimize threats across the institution, responding to any incidents that may occur, doing validation of software purchases to make sure that we're handling the information and privacy security requirements, physical and technical controls all across our university. Some other things that are a little lesser known, uh, we handle cameras, we handle alarms, we handle building access control systems. Um, we have a pretty substantial budget that we oversee for the institution and, and we try and ensure that we're as effectively and efficient, efficiently using that budget as possible. So we maintain that budget. We provide project management services to the university, um, typically for these technology related projects, but on occasion outside of the technology projects themselves. We host events on campus um, for our faculty, staff, students, as well as the rest of our community. We have an annual Tech Days event where we bring uh, important information about technology that's available to our campus. We offer training and collaboration with that. We have a mobile apps contest that we run every year to encourage our students to be innovative and give them a platform to demonstrate their capabilities. Policies, procedures, you name it, we do it. 
there enough hours in the day for you guys to do? <laughs> uh, not normally, and especially not now. Yeah, we're, um, you know, one of the, just to summarize that whole thing, one of the cool things about being in IT is you get involved in every aspect of what the university does. And UNM's a city within a city. We're involved in, in so many different innovative things, and almost all of them have some kind of bridge and reliance on technology. So it's really an exciting profession to be in. Yeah. Wow. Um, so then... In March, coronavirus really hits New Mexico and um, daily life is completely disrupted. Um, how have you guys, how have you and your employees been, been dealing with all of this? So it, it has been a huge transformation for the university. Um, I, I'd like to think that our UNMIT staff were uniquely positioned um, to be prepared for this. Given that technology is our, is our um, daily work, uh, our staff were very familiar with the tools and resources available to enable and empower both um, remote work and remote learning. And so we were positioned well to help the rest of the campus embrace that. Um, I have to, have to give kudos to, to my team. Uh, when they build services, and a lot of what we do is build services so, so that um, our campus can use them as needed. When our staff build services, they do so with an eye on the future. And as they're prepping those services, they make sure that they can scale up. If, if there's wider spread usage, they make sure that we have good documentation available on how these services can be used. And so, um, you know, we did do some transformation of these services, but a lot of the work had been done in advance, and it was more about sharing that information with our campus. So the, the very first thing that everyone needed to do was to, to get remote, and in order to do that, you had to have the right hardware. So there was a lot of work on the front end, making sure that individuals, whether they're faculty, staff, or students, had computers. And so there was a lot of work in UNMIT making sure that the best possible devices were being deployed. Um, on the student side, we came up in partnership with the provost office and university libraries with a very innovative checkout program where we targeted those students with um, the greatest financial need first and foremost, and then spanned it out um, ultimately where faculty were reaching out to, uh, to us and to individual students where they saw a need. So that was a, a pretty exciting thing. So getting, getting all that hardware out there. And then the next thing is making sure that people have connectivity, right? Having a computer at home, if you're not able to connect to the internet, there's a problem. So we partnered um, with pulling together information from the city in terms of where all the, the Wi-Fi, the free Wi-Fi locations are citywide. We published information about our outdoor Wi-Fi locations, as well as maintaining one physical presence on campus in Bain Smith Hall that also has very good wireless coverage. Um, with 
some of the commercial providers, uh, Comcast, CenturyLink. We made sure we published information on their low cost or free service for those individuals with the greatest financial needs. So making sure that that connectivity issue is addressed. Back to our innovative program um, with the provost and the libraries, we also deployed um, hotspot devices so that people who didn't have the ability to get commercial internet or didn't have other means could use um, could use wireless um, uh, cell phone provided service and given the big rush that everyone had done on mobile hotspots we actually came up with an innovative approach through our our cellular provider where we actually got some pretty um, low-cost uh, Apple iPhones, an older model of iPhones that could be leveraged for a hotspot as well. So making sure people had the devices, making sure that they had the network connectivity, then it's about making sure they have continued access to the systems that they need in order to do their job. And, you know, whether it's, it's learning, teaching, or supporting that environment. So some of the software that we needed to make sure was in place. Um, First of all, if you're accessing secure university resources, you need something called VPN, Virtual Private Network, which basically allows you to authenticate as though you were on campus to specific systems and applications. So we had a huge push to get that ready. We had a limited number of VPN licenses and we had a project on deck to implement a VPN solution where we had an unlimited amount of licenses through an enterprise agreement. So we put that to the front of the list and we quickly deployed that. And by the time people were working remotely, we were able to direct them towards our new VPN solution. Uh, providing support to all these workstations that are at home is not easy if you can't walk in and put your hands on the keyboard. So again, we leveraged a software tool that we had in place. Um, we just scaled it so it could be used by others and it's a remote desktop management tool and we bought additional licenses and we started deploying that to anyone that was involved in, in um, desktop support so that they could, with a user's permission, take over uh, control of that machine and troubleshoot and problem solved while the user is watching. And then the last big constraint there um, that I want to mention is, you know, a lot of times software that students use in the labs are quite expensive and they require um, a pretty robust workstation in terms of the hardware that you have um, in order to be able to run that software. Think of like graphic intensive um, software. So the next big thing that we made a push for is called virtual desktop infrastructure. Again, we had some experience with it. The Anderson School of Management had an environment set up as well, but we needed to scale our virtual desktop infrastructure. What that essentially does is it allows faculty staff and students to log in to one of our central servers that has software deployed and they're basically running the software on our server or in our environment. And that allows them to avoid the individual machine licensing costs, which can be cost prohibitive, especially when we're licensed to have this in labs and other things. And it allows them to use our hardware so they don't have to have the beefed up computer in order to access the tools that they need. So that is something that is scaling up right now and we're making sure that we have those resources 
resources in place. Um, other things that we've had to do, uh, we still maintain our help desk. It's very important that people are able to call or open a ticket with our help desk. We didn't want all of our employees on site when we're trying to push to remote. The challenge is we have a call center and in that call center, we have the ACD line where calls get directed to the next available agent. We rolled out what's called a soft phone technology, which allows that ACD line to route calls to individuals at their home on their computers. And so within about a week's time, we were able to move all of our support desk folks to home and they were able to continue to provide that continuity of service by answering the calls on their laptops. So that was a, a big deal as well. So many more other things are involved, but that's really um, a big part of what we did to push people um, to be able to work remote. Uh, our faculty obviously needed to go to remote instruction. And so we leveraged some of our web conferencing tools in particular. Um, Zoom was a big one and we happen to be the only institution that I'm aware of in the state of New Mexico, um, Higher Education Institute. We actually have an enterprise Zoom license, which means we can deploy it to every faculty, staff, and student as part of our licensing agreement. And again, this was a service that our academic tech group had stood up in a very thoughtful way. And so a lot of what we were doing, we had to make minor adjustments to reach um, the broader audience, but a lot of what we were doing was pointing people to information that we already had out there for a service we had already built. Um, and then we adapted it. Um, we adapted it for the fact that people would be, in some cases, communicating outside of the university. And we wanted to make sure that, that they could do so with those tools. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, we doing okay? <laughs> yeah, no, we're doing good. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot. I'm... I mean, I told you coming into this, I didn't really know a whole lot about IT, but um, my mind is completely blown at how much you are dealing with. Um, it, it's it's intense. And, you know, all I keep thinking is how, you know, rightfully so, we're talking about the frontline heroes being, you know, the nurses, the doctors, the grocery store workers, stuff like that. But um, I'm, I'm very quickly realizing how much, um, we rely on IT and, and I just never, never realized it until I started listening to you talk. Um, yeah, I work in IT full time and I was mind blown. So yeah, Adrian, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, you know, there, there, there's an article back from, gosh, it's an old article. I'm trying to remember the year. Um, Nicholas Carr, Sarun, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's, it's titled, Does IT Matter? And there have been other versions of that that Nicholas Carr has written, but but really that article is about um, is technology innovative or is it a utility? Is it a service that we just expect to work and we don't pay much attention to or can it really drive us forward in what we what we are capable of doing. And, you know, a, a pandemic like COVID-19 really puts an emphasis on something that in many cases we have taken for granted um, and shows us what we're really capable of. And that's where, um, 
that that's where uh, everyone has adapted in an amazing way and it'll be very interesting to see as we progress how we take what we've learned and the new capabilities that now we are aware we have and what we do with that going forward but if speaking of that have you guys discussed um, how UNM when all of this is over and, and we return to somewhat normal life yeah, um, that's that's a very um, interesting and appropriate question. You know, I think there's a whole lot of wait and see happening, and you know, the state of New Mexico um, tends to have been hit by the pandemic a little bit later than a lot of the rest of the world, and so in some cases, we're probably on a different um, on, on a different timetable than what we're seeing happen around the world, which does give us the unique opportunity to see how other other countries, other states are handling it. Um, but absolutely, I mean, the the return to a new normal because normal is going to be very different from what it was a return to the new normal is is definitely something that we are considering and planning for so from a technology perspective you know again i we've we've enabled the lion's share of our workforce to work remotely very few exceptions to that we're running a checkout program in dane smith hall that has to be staffed we have a single computer lab open in dane smith hall that has to be staffed we have um, cellular phones that have to be configured and distributed so we've got um, that operation open um, we have a rotating workstation support on-call person they're really not on call, they're physically present, but available in case they have to be deployed. Our alarms folks um, are there doing that kind of work. Um, other than those people, we're largely working remotely here. As we look to bringing students and faculty back on campus, we want to leverage the um, familiarity that people have with technology now in a better way. Uh, an example of that, we've had 500 courses added to our learning management system since spring break. Um, as faculty went for um, moving to remote instruction, they started leveraging that tool. We want to empower, whether it's uh, instruction in the classroom or online instruction, we want to um, enhance that with our learning management system on a go forward basis. So that's going to happen. We still have to make sure that our network is functioning, which is no different whether people are on campus or off campus. It needs to be happening. Um, we need to make sure that our classroom technology is kept up to date and that uh, folks are able to access the classroom when the classrooms come open again. So this shift is requiring us to obviously support the remote um, environment, but we know that people will come back and we've got to make sure that we continue to maintain that technology there. Yeah, working for a smaller team uh, of IT, like a few of the things that are easier for me. I wanted to like go away from emails between like five people in an organization and go to something like Slack or some other yeah. better communication tools. And all right. of a sudden coronavirus happens and everybody's on board with uh, using Microsoft Teams. So that's what we've been using full time. And I've been trying to get everybody off emailing each other 
for a very long time and then all of a sudden it was so easy to do that so do you yeah. have any other things that you you know had in pipeline to implement but people were not you know hesitant or didn't think of need of it right then but all of a sudden like everybody needs that right you know we knew that it was a good thing yeah. to do no um great great question and as i mentioned you know a lot of the tools not all but a lot of the tools that we've deployed were already fairly well built out and had minor adaptations and or scaling that needed to happen in order to be able to use web conferencing is a huge one right um so i mentioned earlier that that we have enterprise licensing for zoom that put us in a very unique position to be able to deploy that 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 full service product rapidly and you've heard some concerns voiced about security with Zoom and Zoom bombing is a new term that's out there well um the instructions that we have out there in our um Zoom enterprise license tells you how to avoid those things you can use UNM's NetID to authenticate to Zoom meetings you can set passwords you need to be cautious in how you handle Zoom recordings um so that they can't be accessed inappropriately those things so that's a service that again was fairly well built out but has just exploded in terms of utilization our learning management system same thing very well built out exploding with um new utilizations uh sarun you mentioned um o365 and microsoft teams there's an entire suite of tools in our lobo mail instance which is what we've branded o365 teams being a big one which has been available for folks one of the things that we're working on right now is we've got a team of individuals building out what the teams service looks like so while it's available for folks we want to make sure that there's good help and instruction around teams so that it can be used even more effectively um there there's a number of things like that our virtual desktop infrastructure that i described um our vpn which we scaled out much more rapidly um so many things like that that we're working on there's a a lot of new applications that we've actually developed as a result of the pandemic and things that we've been asked to do to help support the institution and you know some of those are in use for a short period of time some have already exceeded their useful life and maybe we'll we'll come back at a later date um but all of them have allowed us to use technology to support the university and i'm happy to cover a handful of those if you're interested in some of the things that we've that we've developed and deployed yeah definitely please okay um so you know obviously travel before there were significant travel bans and avoidance of travel altogether um was an important consideration and so we were asked in rapid order to stand up a travel registry and when faculty staff or students volunteer travel information it was being routed um to some of the university's clinical operations over at the health science center employee um health um student health so that feedback could be provided to individual travel um early on when we started to see event restrictions before there were 
significant event cancellations uh, due to the governor's order. Um, we stood up an event tracking system so that people could record events in the population that they were expecting to have on campus so that that could be monitored. You've probably heard in the news that as some of our healthcare providers are um, working directly with, with positive coronavirus patients, um, that there's a need to ensure that, you know, we were talking at the beginning of this, that we've got kids and we're working remotely and we're trying to balance the fact that our kids are home from school. Well, what about those healthcare providers who are in the hospitals providing that direct patient care who don't have access to childcare? So our children's campus um, is working with the hospital to provide childcare for our healthcare providers. They did need a mechanism for for our healthcare providers to register for that service. And so UNMIT partnered with the Health Sciences Center and our children's campus to leverage existing processes and technology for this very different use case. Um, we've recently stood up faculty alerts, which allow faculty members to identify when students have sort of disappeared. And there are concerns about whether that student has um, the right resources to continue their remote instruction or if there's other concern regarding the welfare of students. So that system was stood up and is in place in partnership with our enrollment management office. We've done a substantial amount of work on our list serves. Um, as you all know, there have been a lot of communications going out from our executive leadership as things have shifted and as our approach has um, adapted to respond to the changing environment, it's important that we reach the right students, the right faculty, the right staff um, at our branch campuses, at our main campus, at our health sciences center, as appropriate for the specific messaging and communication. So there's been a lot of work to refine um, our listservs and who that who they are reaching. Uh, as we've extended our learning management system, uh, we did the weekend before spring break, we did do some significant work to scale it up so it would be able to accommodate more usage. We've also purchased some additional hardware, which will be coming in the near future, uh, just as a um, just as insurance to make sure that we have uh, the the correct sized environment in order to meet the expanding needs. Um, we've always had a remote proctoring service that allows students to take tests with some level of, of proctoring uh, to ensure the integrity of, of the examinations. The, um, the team has worked really hard to come up with a lower cost option that provides the right balance of service and affordability and that's in process right now it's being tested out um, i've already talked extensively about our vdi service that we have in place um, something i haven't mentioned at all you know as you can imagine a lot of our work requires approvals whether it's purchasing or if it's agreements that are being made research awards things of that nature lots of things require approvals and we really don't want people running back to campus passing around paper documents and signatures. So fortunately, um, we also uh, have a fairly substantial um, e-signature um, solution that had been uh, rolled out over the past 
about a year. And again, this was another service that was in pretty decent shape to scale up so that it could be used by others. And we're seeing a lot more electronic signatures out there um, today and then the remote desktop management tools um, I do see that as something that will continue to be used over time it's definitely a lot more efficient to be able to remote into a workstation with the user's permission to do the troubleshooting that's necessary versus deploying people out and that's something that I expect will continue on so a lot of these services that I've described and I just touched on a number of them I haven't covered them all but a lot of these services um, you know, some you can see have short lives. They're responsive to a specific situation. Others, you can imagine how they're going to continue to be used over time, even when we do go back to our, our new normal. Yeah, I have a question regarding the timing of the coronavirus. Yeah. So um, most of the enterprise, like the Apples and Googles of the world, there were there are some of the organizations like large organizations where 100 percent of their employees are remote so they've developed you know, like you know tools like the vpn and teams and uh, conferencing that we are able to leverage them right now so my question was what what if the coronavirus had hit us five seven years ago would we have been in a position to do uh, do something like this or even like what if it, it had it like five ten years after today what else would we have been able to do yeah, that's that's a, a great question, Sarun. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to say. It's it's hard to say what our response would have been seven years ago. Um, looking at what we've been able to do in this current situation and having a pretty good understanding of what it's taken us to get to this point. Uh, I think we're light years ahead right now than we would have been seven years ago. Uh, a lot of the technologies that that I've shared with you here that we're really using to support um, a huge number of folks as they adapt to their remote instruction, remote work, a lot of those have been built out commercially as you've described in more recent years. And and specifically developed and configured as a service here at the university in the last couple of years. And so I think all of that prep work has positioned us very well to address the current needs. Uh, if you were to rewind seven years, then I think it would have been a very different place. And I also think that the expectations would have been very different um, because the technologies weren't quite where they are now. Your, your other very thought-provoking question of what happens if we, if we move ahead into the future, what kind of technologies would be out there to better support what we're doing? Um, that, that's a fascinating question. And um, as I'm sure all of you know, um, technology innovation is, is expanding so rapidly every second of every day um, that it is really hard to predict what we would be empowered to do five to seven years in the future. Um, I imagine that artificial intelligence has a huge role in that. Um, so AI to answer 
questions to troubleshoot problems and things of that nature. Um, the other thing that I would imagine is augmented reality, virtual reality would be further along in how we could leverage it uh, in the virtual classroom in terms of taking students to explore physical, physical locations virtually that um, historically you've had to, had to get people together in a room or, or go on site to see. You can do a lot of that um, more real than real, if you can imagine that using augmented or virtual reality, um, campus tours using virtual reality or augmented reality. Um, so many different applications in those spaces, um, you know, looking at, uh, looking at the hands-on work you can do with those technologies. It's a very different modality to remote or online instruction than what is mainstream today. And I think we would see a lot more of that. The other thing that I think five, seven years from now that we would see is a lot more willingness, you know, go back to the people process, technology and data, go to the people side of the equation. What are people comfortable with? Um, people continually get more and more comfortable with the capabilities of technology and the, the separation, um, blurs between, you know, in classroom and online instruction as you get more comfortable with the capabilities. So I think in the future, we will be able to do so much more. Um, we just don't know what, it, what all it's capable of at this stage. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So the other thing that also I think is, um, I'm from Nepal and there are like the Himalayan regions where like there are no roads and for them to build good schools, it's been a challenge because it's, you have to go through the Himalayas just to build a building. Yep. And all of a sudden, if you can have a satellite and a solar panel, then people can get laptops there. And all of a sudden they can get access to the best schools in the world from where they were. We don't need to do all of that. Similarly, how we got so much advantage off of the commercial industry using all of this technology and we can adapt to this and all of a sudden like the every remote part of the world will get access to a few of the best things in the world that i'm really excited about that yeah no me me too and you know the piece we didn't touch on is is just the business intelligence the the um the data big data that we have available to us and you know fast forward seven years how we're able to harness that to really pinpoint needs trends capabilities um, even more effectively than we are now um, that's going to be a huge factor in what we're able to do if this were to happen again in five to seven years well i think that about wraps it up for us here enchanting economics in new mexico don't forget to check us out at Beaver, that's bber.unm.edu, or on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn under at UNM Beaver. Stay home, stay healthy, take care, everyone. Thanks.